Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Mind Warp, the podcast where we talk about all things new and all things exciting and all things innovative in the mining and construction industries and even wider than that. This morning, I've got two very exciting guests. We've known each other for quite a while, and, and every now and again, we run into each other. They are Val Kutsia and Tashis van Niekerk from DRA Global, and we're going to be talking about very interesting trends and, and, and what's emerging in the world of mining and contract mining and all kinds of, of interesting elements. Val is Senior Vice President for Processing at DRA. He's got degrees in mineral economics from Wits University and a chemical engineering degree from Bosch. Is that right, Val? That's right, MP. And Tash is his Senior Vice President for Mining and studied mining and mineral engineering at the University of Pretoria and also has some postgraduate business administration qualifications. Welcome to the podcast, Ash. Yes. Morning, MP. Thank you. So before we jump into our topics, I'd like you to maybe just tell us a little bit more about yourself. And let's start with you, Tashis. Who are you? How did you come to be a senior vice president for mining at DRA? Yeah, thanks, MP. And I think appropriate, we start with mining before process. <laughs> and I started, yes, as you mentioned, I did my degree at Tukkies as a mining engineer. I mm-hmm. uh, grew up way back in my day in Nelspruit, but after my mining engineering, I had a bursary with gold fields and started in the Wild West gold mining industry on Kloof. I was there for about three years, and then I shifted my focus from deep, hot underground mining to open pit mining and joined a, a French company called Imaris, and I worked for them in the South African operations for about five years. And then I got into the consulting, or call it more mining consulting industry with LQS. I was with them for about six years, and then actually started working with DRA as a mining consultancy. And in 2010, DRA decided they needed to shift gears in their mining engineering capability, and they acquired LQS. So I sort of came with the furniture to DRA. And since 2010, I've been with DRA. And in about 2014, I took over the role of heading up mining, which has gone through various names as the company evolves, you know, head of mining, director, senior vice president, all of those. I think in sort of short, all it means is I look after all of the mining engineers and the mining engineering capability at DRA, which is quite a job in itself, like herding cats. Yeah, I'm sure. I'll talk about DRA's capabilities with you a little bit later on and what you do in the world of mining. And there's a lot to be done, of course, and lots of new and exciting things happening there. Well, let's switch over to you. Why don't you tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, MP, so I suppose a, a sort of similar background to Tertius, starting off at the mines. In the early 90s, I had a scholarship through De Beers, so I spent some time out in, in Clancia, uh, up on the West Coast. That was prior to, I was at Wits Tech at the time, and then uh, moved across to Stellenbosch University. Finished the degree, spent some time at uh, Deptech, uh, still with De Beers, up at Venetia. And then there was the big growth in the platinum industry in the early 2000s, moved across to Impala Platts. I had a very exciting time with Impala Platts as a young metallurgist uh, on the pyrometallurgical smelting side. Moved into as an operations manager there, 
technical manager, then moved to head office, having a look at off-lease projects for Impala. And that's where I got to know the DRA team. So we're sitting on the client side, out at DRA. We finished those projects. Those were all deep level mining. So unfortunately, Tashius and team were going to have a lot of fun. And I had to wait a couple of years until Shaft eventually started intercepting reef before the plants were rebuilt. And then stayed on at DRA, um, joined the team then. And that's been quite a fun journey since then. I think I'm on my 14th year at DRA now, always been in the process engineering side. Um, probably the last 10 of those have been in a management role there. And then systematically, as Tasha said, also with these titles being given, SVP process and technology. And yeah, so got some assistance in running a strong big team of process engineers within the EMEA team here. But then a lot of focus, as you mentioned, there's a lot happening out in the industry, technology enablement, there's a whole lot of change. And trying to steer together with Tashis and others, our journey and uh, route with our clients there. So DRA, as you, you know, both of you sit here in, in the South African environment, or I should say African environment. But of course, the company is not a South African company. Tashis, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about maybe what the company does and who you are and where you operate and so on? Yeah, I think MP and uh, I'll try and keep it short because it's 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 quite a history that DRA has. We started in the early 80s and has grown tremendously over the past almost 40 years now. Today, we're a global company with our head office based in Perth. We still carry our, call it our, our engineering excellence and our center where we've got our main capability and capacity in Johannesburg, where we have about a thousand engineers and we also have our Monopex operations in South Africa. Then we have in Australia, also through acquisition, some very good process engineering capability, operations and maintenance in the APAC region, which we call the APAC region. And then in America, we also started our office probably 10 to 15 years ago. So we've got an office in Toronto. And more recently, we opened an office in Lima to tackle the South American markets. And I think, you know, one of the things is shifting in terms of geographical focus is to look at places where we can employ our skills. And especially from a South African mining point of view, we've got actually quite sought after underground mining engineering mm-hmm. skills, which is, you know, operating and doing business all over the globe. And I think South America is quite a unique place for our skills. Although they have underground mining, it's not a, they're not that used to big shafts and deep shafts and the sort of underground engineering skills that we have. So worldwide, we're about 4,500 people now. And yeah, proudly, about what's it, three months ago now, we listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange as a due listing on the ASX and JSE. So now ERA is a, is a listed entity. Well, that's fantastic. It's excellent to see so much growth and not only growth but real success you know there's so much bad news in the world these days i always enjoyed immensely when companies not only small entrepreneurial companies but sizable companies make a success they need to grow because there's a depth of knowledge and a depth of skills that are clearly sought after which brings me to uh, to the skills part you guys don't own mines yourself do you no, you operate it uh, on behalf of others and help others to, to plan to operate their mines optimally. Absolutely. Yes, we're not mine owners. We don't want to be in competition with our clients, but we do offer them, call it the full value chain of either designing, optimizing, operating their assets for them. So I think it's a unique 
differentiator for DRA, the fact that we can operate. Yes, we go straight from geology to the back end of delivering the project, but then we also have the additional benefit for a client and especially younger, more junior clients that's not set up for skills or to operate the assets, we can bring that in as well with our Monopex offering. So that's sort of where we focus. And I think clients look to us to also lead them a bit, especially on the technology side. And I think Mm. we'll get into that discussion a little bit more later. Well, yeah. And do you find that there's a move from the kinds of mining companies that start new projects? Traditionally, it often used to be the very big ones that have exploration budgets and that have maybe brownfields budgets and so on. Is that changing at all? Uh, one would think that new technology and so on would enable, and new investment methods and so on would enable different kind of investors and different mining operators to emerge. Have you, have you found that? Yes. Yeah, so I think the, the big majors, yes, they've got a lot more, call it stress around yeah. investing and, and their assets. Most of them try to optimize, and we see sort of that with Anglo and Sabanya taking over some of their assets, especially in South Africa. On the juniors, uh, some of our clients, it's not typical investors. We see a lot of investment coming from China. Of course, after all of the great commodities that we have on this continent and investment coming from the East to try and secure pipeline especially in not the golds or platinums, but more on the coppers and maybe even battery metals to to try and secure those pipelines. Because as we know, China, huge growing economy with a lot of these things coming from the East. So that's sort of some of the changes we've seen. So we've had to adapt. We are not only working with our clients, we're working with the investors. We had to adapt to work with either Russians or Chinese, which was Never, you know, back in the day, something that a mining engineer was used to. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I, if I look towards processing, of course, what many governments wants to make sure is that we don't only export raw materials, but that as much as possible of the, um, uh, of the value chain you know, from rock to product happens within country. Is there lots of development? Let's start with this region, the adaptation of processing locally. Or is that pretty much happening the same way as it used to happen? No, definitely not uh, happening the same way. So you're absolutely right, MP, if we you know, have a look at some of the mineral resource management within countries, definitely a desire to have increased levels of beneficiation, you know, so even between Zimbabwe and South Africa, for that matter. And then there's some good new technologies and good ones if you look at something and don't want to single them out. But uh, mm-hmm. Cal is probably a good example of alternative approaches for the PGM and base metal side. You know, a very different approach from the atypical pyrometallurgical smelting and refining route, which uh, with Sedi Bello and others now is coming to fruition. So some exciting changes there, most certainly. And then, you know, that probably brings in the other big area that is, you know, it wasn't ignored before, but most certainly much higher on the agenda now is decarbonization. Um, so having a look at the footprint and the product you produce and, you know, as Tash was saying as well, so the design, the battery market, which we'll probably chat about a little bit later, is getting some of those raw materials offshore to far destination. So with that comes massive carbon footprint again associated with shipping, transporting, and getting raw materials out to those regions. The probably yeah. increased beneficiation in-country has tremendous uh, benefits there again when you have a look at what the end product would be in the battery market. Yeah, I had a shock over the weekend 
I was curious about a flight to Europe and what it would cost. And I looked it up on Google. And an interesting tag or comment that Google showed next to the price was the carbon allocation per person. And I think for that flight, and it was to Turkey, if I'm not mistaken, the per person carbon allocation was something like 810 kilograms. And I thought to myself, good heavens. <laughs> this... That is, yeah, it's an incredible number. It's almost a ton of carbon. Exactly. So let's talk about that maybe. Surely there must be a big focus on technology. Let's again, if, you, if we will start in the mine, to reduce carbon footprint and thereby ESG impact of the mining activities and so on. Ashley, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, no, that's definitely, I think, you know, and Val will also fill in here a little bit. That's a, a big focus at the moment at DRA is our clients need to get better at the way and what they produce. And, you know, so it's all part of that ESG hmm. sort of requirement out there. So on the mining side and as DRA, they break up that carbon emissions into the three scopes, the scope one, two, and three. And briefly, scope one and two is sort of what sits inside the mining Ring fence and scope three is how you get your stuff, you know, who's making your steel that you're using. So we as DRA, we really have can have a big impact on that scope one and two things. So are you using diesel fleet? Are you using a battery fleet? Are you using, you know, what sort of technology are you uh, using in your plant? How do you generate your power? Your power coming from ESCOM or are you using solar? So those sort of things we definitely concentrate on. And in the mining side, obviously, I think quite well known by now out there is that the battery technology, as with cars, I think, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when Tesla brought out their first car, people Mm -hmm. all thought, you know, that's rubbish. Nobody will ever buy a battery-driven vehicle. That's for the milkman, you know, that delivered (laughs) milk uh, back in the 70s. And now, I mean, Mercedes-Benz, they said by 2030, they're not going to produce any more internal combustion engines. So Mm -hmm. it's the same with our mining kit suppliers. So Sandvik, Epiroc, making a huge stride into the battery-driven vehicles. So we recently, two of the mines that we designed and new technology was usually people didn't want to look at it. They don't want to be the first one. Mm-hmm. Now people are asking us to design around that. So it's definitely battery technology and different methods to make it more effective to get your ore from underground mm. to surface is becoming, uh, you know, part of our design focus and yeah. DRA. So now it's not only about how much tons can you load and how quickly you can do your hauling, but it is also about energy efficiency in the whole process. One of the comments I heard recently that surprised me was the, the cost associated with ventilation and the associated saving, you know, when moving from a traditional fleet to a battery electric fleet. Absolutely. So, you know, as a mining activity in a bubble, yes, ventilation and refrigeration Mm. takes a huge toll on that little bit of it. So whatever you can save because you've replaced a diesel motor with battery is making a huge difference. And also our clients and, you know, everyone is looking for a better working environment. We know how harsh traditional underground Mm. working environment is for a South African underground mine. It's noisy. It's hot. It's small. Those things are a thing of a past. We now design around the equipment to make sure that the equipment can work effectively. We're putting equipment in place that's less noisy, that's less hot, where people can sit in a comfortable cab while it's air-conditioned even so that Mm. they can be more productive. And in the past, 
That wasn't the case. We try to make things as small and tiny as possible. Of course, you know, grade was king and it's still king, yeah. need, but uh, productivity needs to happen as well. So we see a lot of that coming into the design. Absolutely. If you look at any old bodies out there, we're always hearing that grade is dropping and uh, we've got to go further and deeper to get to the to the good stuff, so to say. Yeah. But the impact that technology has on our ability to process properly, as well as our ability to provide a stable feed or grade to the plant, must play a big role in the way that, or in the kinds of ore bodies that we're able to mine, doesn't it? Val, maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the new technologies that you're running into that are being adopted in the world of processing. Yeah, look, absolutely, MP, and it's exactly that. You know, you've uh, spoken around more complex ore bodies, refractory mm. ore bodies, declining grades. You know, you've got increased uh, capex and opex you have to deal with at the moment. There's water scarcity challenges we've got to deal with. There's everything around climate change, and we talked that first pillar of ESG that we've got to start taking into account with our designs. So all of this is a is a careful balancing act. You know, most certainly a lot of technology-focused, technology enablement on a process side as well. Not getting to all the detail here, but if we do briefly break it down into the key sort of areas in my mind, DRA really pioneered some of the pre-concentration work with some of our original founding members uh, with the application of DMS outside of you know, your typical gravity processes. So using it as a pre-concentration for waste rejection ahead of processing. You know, that to me mm-hmm. remains the key part. If I don't need to stick it in a mill and grind it to bug dust and I've got uh, the big energy consumption there. Very important site. So, you know, at the moment with bulk ore sorting, particle sorting, still DMS application. And even there, a lot of innovations in different approaches to applying coarse particle flotation and fine particle recovery. These really see the drives in some technology advances out there. On the combination side, you know, that again, you know, speaks both to the economic benefit as well as the environmental benefit there. And that's alternative ways to get size reduction. You know, if you look at, again, a fine grinding, alternative crushing, dry milling, precision classification, MP, all of these are vitally important and selecting them correctly, you know, as we start with refractory difficult ore bodies. These typically have disseminated uh, ore bodies that dictate and require fine grind. So, and, and so from a planning perspective, uh, does this mean that you are being asked to develop more scenarios for clients uh, and that there are new mining and processing methods that have to be tested for clients before they just say, okay, well, this is a good plan, let's go with it? Look, absolutely. So going through your typical sort of development stage gates as you go through the business case sort of development part, you know, Tash and myself spend a lot of time with our advisory uh, division within DRA and uh, really in the world that Tashis and I play in there, it is really to get that business case uh, development and define a correct study path moving forward. You know, we understand the cost and the engineering effort to go through these cycles, but imperative that you get these trade-offs done. And, you know, these days it's not just doing a discounted cash flow and chasing MPV and IRR. It is most certainly having a look at uh, the carbon footprint, so doing uh, carbon modeling, along with that discounted cash flow, and then comes everything along with water savings as well. So that balance between water on your Q per ton consumed, your carbon footprint on CO2 per ton, as well as then your obvious MPV dollar per ton metrics. It's that fine fine balance. 
you know, different uh, requirements for shareholders and all stakeholders involved as well. But it makes for interesting assessments. Um, yeah, definitely clients, uh, there's a lot more to trade off these days in terms of a project than, you know, even 10 years ago with new technology making, you know, rapid strides. So it's it's not just conveyor versus truck. It's conveyor versus diesel truck versus battery truck. It's, yeah. uh, you know. It's a big truck versus small truck. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. So it's definitely a lot more detailed than it used to be. Look, and I think that's probably one of our key differentiators is to have that integrated approach with mining and processing and mm. to understand Tashis's impact on, on my world and my impact on Tashis's world. So that fine reconsideration around fragmentation strategies as an example yeah. now, you know, it's not just totally driven by economics anymore. There are very different uh, carbon footprints associated with that and depending on where you operate in the world as well. So as an operator, what is your relationship when it comes to these kinds of, I always want to call it non-traditional metrics with the owner of the ore body? Who carries responsibility for reduction in CO2? Are those things now being built into the contract that you have with the with the owner? Or is it something that you manage and, and report to your stakeholders differently? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. At the moment, obviously, the you know, if you if you go and look on listed clients, most of them report on their carbon emissions these days. Yeah. And it's slowly becoming part of our life, you know, and we're trying to actually force it a little bit more that it needs to be more of a design feature in all of the projects that we do. So at the moment, that sort of, call it liability, still sits with the client. But because we are the engineers and the designers of their projects, you know, we advise them and we can only deliver them the options and they still need to make the final decision. This one delivers this and this one delivers this. They both technically sound, but now on the sort of decision making for your shareholders, you need to make a decision going forward. Absolutely. Although, you know, MP in the end, you know, in the contract and, you know, whatever arrangement we had, if there's a plant using uh, XYZ technology, there's a certain throughput that we would work towards as the design criteria and guarantee. So within that inherently then takes into account your overall energy efficiency to achieve a throughput. So indirectly, although, you know, perhaps won't be having a carbon footprint associated with that contract, definitely from an energy efficiency, certain mining equipment, again, from diesel consumption, other reagent consumptions, explosives, the rest, that all forms part of the design criteria within the design. And of course, I don't want to call him a, a culprit, but the biggest driver is, is ESCOM. And in South Africa, yeah. especially, is where the power that the clients are using are coming from. So I think a lot of change coming because of the allowance now that they can self-generate and self-generate more. So And do you feel as you design mines and plants that self-generation is a viable option already? Is it is it something that, that can be done both cheaper and more reliably? Yeah, no, I mean very important on the sort of decarbonization side. So we sort of try approach it because we do have, you know, you've got the mining, you've got the processing, we have an energy division, we've got a water division, and you've got to collectively bring everyone together. So, you know, we utilize the same principles as the waste hierarchy. So have a look at reduce, replace, recover, you know, on the energy side. So 
solely from alternative energy sources where we talk replace? Absolutely. How do you get your grid power factor down? You know, so ESCOM in, in South Africa sits in the region of what's 1, 1.07 kilogram CO2 per kilowatt hour. What are the alternatives? How do you get a blend? So, you know, we've a strong team having a look at wind energy, solar PV, bioenergy, hydro energy, hydrogen and others that we have to embrace as well. But, you know, shouldn't solely have a look at the energy sources, the actual quantum of energy used, your uh, technology application, uh, uh, control, integrated geomet between mining and processing, optimizing the schedule, all of those go a long way to get that overall reduction. So, you know, it's just pulling together all the various role plays. And even within that is our operations division as well. MP play an important part there. Well, Tashis, this was really, really interesting. I love the conversation and where it's going. And it's interesting to see that it takes an ecosystem of partners for any given mine to be able to to operate optimally. And, you know, that it's not only the mine itself that has all the clever answers and that maybe employs contractors or service providers, but it's becoming a real partnership, a handshake. Planning experts, the execution experts, the resource reserve conversion experts and so on. So I love what you're saying. Yeah, MP, I mean, if I can just on that point, it's uh, it's actually so true what you say. One of our clients, actually, there's two clients, different things. The one client asked us to design the mine of the future. Mm-hmm. Now, I concentrate on the mining side more, but the collaboration between us and equipment suppliers and mm-hmm. ventilation consultants and suppliers of, you know, the fridge plants and the fans and it's all a collaboration of all these technologies. DRA as such, we, we don't make yellow kits. <laughs> you know, we're reliant on the technologies out there. We design them into the mines. So the collaboration and the closeness between the industry is crucial, crucial for, for that sort of success. So I absolutely agree. It needs to happen more often and it needs to happen quickly. And we have to move, as we often say, only half tongue in the cheek from a, a mining industry which used to be an ecosystem to an ecosystem of collaborators. Yeah, uh, well said. Precious and Val, thank you so much. We always end up by asking our guests what they're reading just to get a kind of glimpse into your personal life. So who wants to go first? <laughs> so strange you should ask that. And it's not a joke. In the past week, I joined a book club. Wow. <laughs> um, so, and this apparently is not to try and drink wine. Uh, it is actually to read a book. So the first book we're going to read is going to be The Breakfast of Champions from Kurt Vonnegut. So I'll let you know how that goes because I'm not a big reader. <laughs> well, okay. I should say welcome to the club, but it's not mine. So, <laughs> you, Val. Yeah, MP, I don't have uh, any one book lying on that uh, bedside table right now. Uh-huh. But the... Is really so much happening out there, you know, we're world of digitization, where we are, technology at the moment. I do find myself reading a ridiculous amount these days. So, you know, whether that is online reading, printing out journals, what's happening in green hydrogen, definitely enough to keep up to speed on. So most certainly can't single out a single thing. But then there's the move from reading paper to listening to podcasts and listening to audiobooks. And for sure. Look, I'm charging that uh, iPad more and more these days. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> working at that bedside table. 
Roman, thank you so much for your time. This was excellent. And all the best to you and your teams and all the new endeavors and congratulations on that listing also. We'll hear from you more and more as we go into the future. And of course, as we collaborate here in the market out there to, to make mining better. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, MP. Yeah, thank you, MP. Good to chat as always. And thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely.